Good afternoon again. We are studying today John chapter 6, verses 36 through 51. You can find this in your church Bibles as we continue our walk through the book of John. I want to let you know that we will not consider all the aspects of these verses, but we'll focus at least in three questions, and we'll come back to some things in two weeks. John chapter 6, verses 36 through 51. This is the word of God. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him. Because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is it not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourself. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me throws him. I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Let's pray. We thank you, our Heavenly Father, that you reveal this word to us through the power of the Holy Spirit and through many prophets and through many of your witnesses throughout many generations until today. We have this word that is your word and we believe that is your written word. We thank you that you have also equipped us to understand spiritual things through the power of the Holy Spirit, to understand what you have given to us today. So we pray in humility that you might send the Holy Spirit into our hearts to give us understanding of this test, that you will encourage us through what we read here from our Lord Jesus Christ, and that you will help us to see your glory in these verses. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
there is something really special when you consider uh, throughout the verses and chapters of the Gospel of John that every time Jesus had a conversation with a person, an individual, or, or a crowd, when he was teaching them something that he has each one of us in mind. That every time Jesus had a conversation, for example, with the Samaritan woman, or Nicodemus, or the official son, of, or his disciples, or the crowd, when he said the things that he was saying to them, when he asked the questions that he asked them, when he answered the questions that they asked him, he was saying these things to you as well today. Think about this, and this is only unique about Jesus. We can read about any historical character in the history of the world, a person who has a great desire to achieve things, not just for himself, but for others, and everything that he said and did, he didn't do it thinking in those that, particularly in those that will come after him by name. But we know that Jesus, who is God, when he talked, for example, to the Samaritan woman, and he was speaking to him, to her, about this water that she needs, that only he could provide, he was speaking to you. He was talking to you. He has you in mind. The same thing happened when he's speaking to this crowd. He was speaking a message that is not just for the people of his time, but for the people of all generations until today and the generations to come. It is an eternal message because it's coming directly from God. So you can read in these lines, know as if you are reading about a conversation between Jesus and a group of people, but a conversation between Jesus and you. You can read God's word, Jesus' words here, as if Jesus is speaking to you. But as different people have different responses to Jesus' words, there are different people today that will have different responses to what Jesus has to say to them as well. And we see that, for example, when Jesus goes and explains and explains more the, the ident his identity and his mission, he was getting different responses. We saw a common response between this crowd and the Samaritan woman, for example. The Samaritan woman said, give me this water. And the crowd said, give me this, this bread every day. It is because at that very moment they could not understand that Jesus was speaking about something deeper, something spiritual. But then Jesus goes to challenge the Samaritan woman further and ask her about her husband. And why did he do that? He did that in order to get to the root of her problem. We know through the story that the response of the Samaritan woman is that she went to the town and told everybody about Jesus. And the people of the town came and also confirmed with their own ears that Jesus was the Messiah. But we're seeing here a different response in this group of people. We're seeing here that they did not welcome Jesus' message, that they did not receive it as 
the Samaritan woman receive it. And therefore, Jesus is here answering one basic, simple question to these people that were there. And it's basically the title of this message. The question is, who comes to Jesus? Who comes to Jesus? Is the question that Jesus is answering to the crowd. Is the question that Jesus is answering throughout generations of the Christian church until today is the question that he's answering to us today. Who comes to Jesus? And it is, in fact, a very controversial, controversial answer. It is uh, something that we should welcome it and receive it with gladness that will produce, that should produce in us joy and, and a desire to give God's glory. But as you saw, and you will see throughout the rest of this story, or the rest of this narration of the Gospel of John in chapter 6, people departed from Jesus. His followers left him as he kept going on and on, explaining his identity. Then he is answering to them, who comes to him? And also, we can see and learn from these verses wonderful blessings that Jesus is promising to those that come to him. Then he's answering another question. is what do all who comes to him receive? What do a person that comes to Jesus receive by coming to him? And at the end, I have... This question, that's not a question that Jesus is answering, but this question that I'm going to try to answer together, which is why Jesus' teaching about who comes to him is so important, yet so controversial. Why is this question that Jesus answered here, who comes to him, is so important, the answer that Jesus is giving to this crowd is so important, but at the same time, is so controversial. So first of all, let's start with who comes to Jesus. John, the evangelist, tells us at the beginning of this chapter that a large crowd of people were following Jesus because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick people. That Jesus was healing people, and that's why there was a multitude of people following Jesus. And then what Jesus did is he did another sign in front of their very eyes. More, maybe than 15,000 people. John tell us 5,000, but if you include everybody beside the men, more than 15,000 people were there and they saw this wonderful sign. John tell us that they wanted to make Jesus the king. That they thought Jesus as the prophet promise from the Old Testament. And yet Jesus comes to them and said, you only follow me because you ate the food that I gave to you. Jesus is challenging them in what or why they were following him. If they were really true disciples of him. And then Jesus continues again, explaining to them, who he is, and he tells them that he is the bread of life. He makes it more and more clear his real identity, his, his mission. 
And Jesus knows that yet they don't believe in him. And this is why he says in verse 36, But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. They saw the signs. They followed Jesus. They saw Jesus doing more signs. And Jesus challenged their belief. And they kept on listening and even asking, well, what another time can you show us so that we might believe in you? Jesus knew that they did not believe in him. That they were following the sign because the sign was a benefit for them. The food that Jesus was providing. The, heal, the, the healings that he was providing for them. As Jesus said, you do not follow the sign, which is the sign is pointing. When he said, you do not follow the sign, you are not following because of the sign, because the sign is pointing to who Jesus is, but you are following just the benefits of being around me. Therefore, I tell to you, Jesus said, you have seen me, and when Jesus said, you have seen me, you, you have seen the power that I have, and what I can do, and yet do not believe. And here, Jesus explained to them why, even though they see Jesus, they do not believe. He says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Jesus is not saying, all will come to me. Or Jesus is not saying, all who wants to come, they will come to me. Jesus is saying, all that the Father gives me will come to me. It's all that the Father has appointed before the foundation of the world to be Jesus' followers, Jesus' true followers, will come to Jesus. Remember, you have to come and believe. You have to move your affections from the place where they are to Jesus and believe in Jesus to be a real follower of Jesus. And Jesus is saying there is no way that somebody that, has, that the Father has given to me that that person will not come to me. All that the Father gives me will come to me. There is something that is also stronger when you read what Jesus says in verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Think about that. It is not just that all that the Father giving comes to him. You will say, okay, all that the Father have appointed to come to Jesus, they will come. What about the rest? Maybe they can come by their own volition. They can come on their own to the Father. There is a chance that they can make the decision to follow Jesus and Jesus is saying, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Actually, there is an interesting word here that is translated in our Bibles as draws. But if you will look at the original, this word should be maybe more translated as compel or to be dragged into. And think about the big difference. It is not just that the Father is out there saying, Come, come, will you mind coming? 
Will you come here to Jesus? Jesus is saying that the Father will bring anyone he has decided to come to him. I think that that's a great encouragement for us when we pray for somebody. Because we know that if it is the will of God, God will bring that person to Jesus. To believe in Jesus. So Jesus is saying, everyone, verse 45, who have heard and learned the Father comes to me. Again, it's the connection between coming to Jesus and the divine appointment established by God before the foundation of the world for people to come to Jesus. Why is this so controversial? It's because people, many people, and I would say many Christians, will see the decision of someone coming to Jesus depending on their own volition their own desires, their own intentions. If a person, does a person have no the freedom to choose if he comes or not comes to Jesus? How about a person who really wants to come, but how about if the father didn't give him, give him to Jesus? Well, the truth is that the reason why a person comes to Jesus or is dragged by the Father to Jesus is because God the Father appointed that person to come. So if a person has the desire, it's because God is the one who is planting that desire, desire in a person's heart. But if a person is not given by God the Father to Jesus, is no draw or drag or compel by the Father to come to Jesus, a person will not come because we will not have that desire to start with. But again, there is the, the tension here that has happened throughout the history of the church. In fact, have divided the Christian church in denominations, for instance, between people who believe that the decision of coming to Jesus depends on their own. Based on what? Somebody might say, based on some other passages of the scriptures. But when you look at the scripture as a whole, it's clear that it's supporting the clear message that Jesus is describing here. Then based on what? It's based on what people think in the world, that you decide your destiny. That you are in charge of your own destiny. But based on some other things that we will consider for the last question, why is this teaching so important and so controversial. So, let us start with this clear statement that the crowd is there and that Jesus told them that though they have seen him, they do not believe. And Jesus tells them why. It is because it is up to the Father to bring people to Jesus. In fact, you see in verse 41 that the Jews crumble, crumble, and that they said they were trying to find rational explanations of why this man, Jesus, is now saying that he is the bread that came from heaven. Don't we know that he is the son of Joseph and Mary? 
They were trying to find logical explanations, not to, to see if what Jesus was saying is truth, but to, to justify their own belief, to find in their minds good reason to say Jesus is not saying the truth. There is something really interesting about this as well, that when we think about the Father bringing people to Christ, you can have the most eloquent speaker, evangelist, preaching the gospel. And a person is there who is now appointed by the Father to believe. And the person will leave the room without believing as the crowd left and abandoned Jesus without believing. But you can have the most simple, humble person that quiet person in the church that nobody noticed, sharing the gospel with very simple, basic words, with a very smart and eloquent person, and the person comes to Christ because the power is knowing the person, but it's in the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is acting upon, for this is the will of my Father, the will of God. Then Jesus is answering, who comes to Jesus? Now here is a wonderful, a wonderful pack of news for all of us who, who follow Jesus and for all of us or for some of us who are considering following Jesus. What, are, what do all who come to him receive when we come to Jesus? First, and you could find more even as you look at these verses, but I have at least five for you. First, verse 37, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. That's the first assurance that you have. That if you have genuine faith that has come from the will of God before the foundation of the world, and the operation of the Holy Spirit in your heart. And if you are coming with that sincere will before Jesus and saying, I trust in you and I want to follow you, Jesus will never cast you out. He will welcome you. Because that will that you have to follow him comes from the will of God the Father who has given you that faith to believe, who have moved you from death to life. You were death in your sins and trespasses, and now you are alive in Christ, and you follow Jesus. Therefore, he will never cast you out. Second, verse 39, that I should lose nothing of all he has given me. This is why in reform circles we understand of the doctrine of perseverance of the saints. The first time I heard this, I heard it from my dad. He talked about the perseverance of the saints. And I thought when he was saying that, that he meant that I have to persevere until the end, work hard. It was up to me. It, it, I had the power to do it. And if I don't persevere, then at the last day when the trumpet, the trumpet sound, I might be left behind. I thought about that. But no, here Jesus is saying that I should lose nothing of all he has given me. 
So you have complete assurance that if God has moved you through the power of the Holy Spirit to believe in Jesus and to be his follower, that he started that good work in you, he will complete that good work. That nothing will separate you from the love of Christ until the day you die. Does it mean that Christians never have instances in their life when they fall in sin and temptation and even in practicing sin for a period of time? That happened to believers. But if God has a plan in you, he will use his ordinary means of graces, the preaching of God's word, prayers of believers, the encouragement and exhortation of brothers and sisters, and they will bring you back. Because Jesus says that he will lose nothing of all the Father has given to him. Remember, this is not Jesus having this conversation with the crowd, with the Jews, with those there. This is Jesus telling you this today. When he said those words today, he was saying these words to you today. Third, verse 39, but raise it up on the last day. We have all who have trusted in Jesus, been resurrected, and we are already seated in the heavenly places at the right hand of God with Jesus. Thus, what we understand as regeneration is spiritual rebirth is what Jesus is talking to Nicodemus at that moment when you believe it is because you have given new life in Christ. But here Jesus is speaking about the last day. Something that he has said before, that at the last day, everybody, all bodies will be raised. Actually, all is all, not just Christians, but those who are going to spend the rest of their time or their life in eternity condemned in hell. But if you have believed in Christ, if you have been given by the Father to Jesus, he will raise you up, he will give you a glorified body, and you will live with God forever. No sin, no sorrow, no pain. This is why Christians today can live and struggle in this life and, 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 and see the trials and tribulations of the present time not worth comparing with the glory that is to come because we know that this promise is sure for you, believer, for me, for us, if you have believed. Fourth, and this is what most of the Christians talk about when we share the gospel with people. And you see it here in verse 40, in verse 40, 47, and verse 51. So he wants to make sure that we get it. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks at the song and believes in him should have eternal life. You see it again, verse 47. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes, have eternal life. Verse 51. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. 
Brother and sister, you have, if you have come to Jesus, because the Father gave you to Jesus, because the Father dragged you to Jesus, you have today eternal life. We will all die unless Christ will come before we die. Then we will be further transformed, which is something that I would love to to see and be. It's, it's interesting that I was having a conversation with a sister, and she said, no, I don't want to. I want to die before Christ comes, so I want to experience that resurrection. I was saying, no, no, I want to be alive when Christ comes, so I can be further transformed. The good thing is that there is good news for both of us. Either way, we will be with God forever. The promise is that you will have eternal life. And fifth, you find verse 50, so that no one may eat of it and not die. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that no one may eat of it and not die. We will all die, it's true, if Christ don't come before we die. But we know that we will know experience when he's talking about dies, talking about the second death. We will experience that second death, which is that we will not go into eternal condemnation because we have that promise given to us by our Lord Jesus Christ according to the will of God. Then who comes to Jesus? Who, whoever the Father gives and drags to Jesus. And here we have all these wonderful blessings and promises in front of us. Then the question is, and that's the last question, is why Jesus' teaching about who comes to him is so important, yet so controversial. Um, in terms of being controversial, you might find all different, a different list of explanations, but I think that they all go down to one, which is, I think is the root of why it is so important and why it is so controversial. And it has to do with glory. It has to do with glory. Because the problem that, that people have, that human have, that many of us has, is that when we see this, all that the Father gives me, he will come to me. No one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him the problem that people have is that, so what is my part? What can I say at the end that I did? Some people say, and I heard this sermon once preached, God does 90% and you will do 10%. At least I want that 10%. Actually, some people will be happy even with 1%. If God does the 99%, I'm happy as soon as I can take credit for that 1%. The gospel destroys all human glory or self-glorification because it proves to you that you don't come. It's God who brings you to Jesus. And you don't come because you are dead. And if you came, it's because God gave you life and made you want to come. 
And people don't want to hear that. Actually, we could say we don't want to hear that. We struggle with that. We struggle with that even when we are Christians. When we try to take credit for things that we do in the church, I did this, and I did that, and I serve this way, and I do this, is still that struggle of my pride that wants to say, I am doing this. But that's not Jesus' message here. It is you did nothing. Actually, yes, you sin, and I save you. And you don't want to say, that's all I did, I sin. No credit. Then we say, that's why it's controversial. And then you might say, you, you can talk to me afterwards and say, hey, Enrique, I have another list of reasons why this can be problematic. I would say, yes, well, let's talk about them. But at the end, I think that we're going to land on the same problem. It's glory. And why it is so important is because we end by saying this and reading this saying, soli Deo glory. All the glory to God. There's nothing that I can say I did. That moved you to be thankful. That moved you when you come into this building to worship. You are worshiping God. Because solely they are glory. All the glory is to God. Only God. You give God all the glory once you come in. Once you get out. Everywhere you go you are giving God all the glory. Because there is nothing. That you can say, I did. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for this grace, amazing grace we have received. No one can come to Jesus unless you are dear Heavenly Father, brings him to Jesus. If this is the case, we are so thankful that you brought us to Jesus, Lord. We thank you that you gave us new life in Christ, that you gave us this faith to believe, that you gave us a new heart. We thank you that you are patient, even with people like us, as you were patient with the Samaritan woman who struggled understanding, or with Nicodemus, there is struggle understanding. We are there also, struggle understanding, but you are patient. Help us, Lord, to grow in our faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.